we're continuing a series we've been in now that we are calling You Were Made For. You Were Made For. And what we've said so far is that no one is an accident. You're not an accident. I'm not an accident. Your children are not an accident. Your parents might not have been planning for you. You might not have been planning for your kids. But again, you are not an accident. You're not a mistake. Each and every person who has ever walked on this earth was created by a loving God. The psalmist said it best in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. Here's what he said. He said, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And so he says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you. He made me. He made each and every one of us. And he didn't make us because he was bored. He didn't make us by mistake. He didn't make us on accident. He made us on purpose, for a purpose, and with a purpose, all right? And so last week, we talked about the fact that we are made for Christ. We are made for Christ. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, For from him, from Christ, and through him, through Christ, and for him, all things are made. Everybody say, all things. All things. Did you know that you are one of those all things? I am one of those all things. Again, we were made for God. And so today, I want to talk to you about the fact that you and I were made for impact. Turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, you were made to make a difference. Yeah, you were made to make a difference. Each and every one of us. The question is, how? How will we make a difference? How will we make an impact? See, I heard about this football coach that gathered his team together in the locker room. He wanted to give one of those motivational speeches, really wanted to kind of boost morale among his team and help them to have a greater impact. And so he said, all right, guys, he said, do we want a player on our team who when they get hit, they fall down and they don't get up? And all the team was like, no, we don't want nobody like that on our team. And so he said, all right, what about this? Do we want the guy who gets hit and falls down, but when he gets when he falls down, he gets back up and he gets hit again, and then he falls down and stays down. Do we want that guy on our team? And everybody's like, no, we don't want that guy on our team either. And so he said, all right, what about this? Do we want the guy who gets hit and falls down and gets back up and gets hit and falls down and gets back up and gets hit and falls down and gets back up and gets hit and falls down and gets back up? And they're like, yeah, we want that guy on our team. And the coach is like, no, you idiots. We don't want that guy on our team. We want the guy who keeps hitting that guy on our team. You know what I mean? We want to make an impact. We want to make an impact. And here's the deal. It's an absolute theological certainty that God wants your life to have an impact. And some of us know that. Some of us can get excited about that. Some of us are like, man, I want to know how to make the, the biggest impact on the people around me. We really, really believe that. And then there are others of us who believe, well, I could never do that. I can never make a difference. Little old me, I, I, can't, I can't make an impact. But let me tell you something, never underestimate the impact that God wants you to make in your life. If you think that you can't make an impact because you're just something little, you've obviously never slept in a room alone with a mosquito, right? Little things can make a huge difference. Every single one of us can have an impact. The Apostle Paul certainly did. And he says something in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 that's pretty interesting. Here's what he says. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, hey, you know what? I've learned how to be happy. I've learned how to have joy, whatever is going on in my life. Well, what are his circumstances as he writes the book of Philippians? You need to understand that at this point in his life, he has actually been beaten three times. Not only has he been beaten three times, but he's been in prison for two 
years. And do you know why he's in prison? He's in prison because he has been falsely accused. See, there were some people who didn't like Paul, and so they got mad at Paul because he was hanging out with a Greek. He was a Jewish person, and he's hanging out with a Greek. And so this is culturally unacceptable at this time. But they take, they take it a little further, and they say, hey, you know what? We're going to start a rumor. We're going to start a rumor. See, Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And so what they actually say is, we saw Paul take this Greek into the temple, thus defiling the temple. And so, so many people believe this rumor that they have started that this huge mob forms to basically attack Paul and try to kill Paul. It's so bad that the Romans think, man, Paul must have done something very wrong. And so they arrest him in an effort really to save him. So he's thrown in prison. And you know what happens? Because the judicial system is very slow, he sits there forgotten for two years. For two years. And so he makes an appeal as a Roman citizen to have a trial, which was very, very risky. But again, he's got to do something because he's just been sitting there wasting away for two years. And so what's interesting about Paul, it's interesting that Paul is still able to make a huge impact on this world all from a prison cell. How, how is he able to do that? What caused Paul to be able to have a greater impact in, from a prison, prison cell than, than, than people who were completely free. How did he do it? Well, before we get too deep, let me just kind of ask this question. Could it be, could it be that what we think we need to have an impact in this world is not what we need at all? Could it be that the assumptions we have about what it means to make an impact are all the wrong assumptions? Could it be that really what we feel like we have to have to make a difference isn't what we need at all? See, we tend to think that if we're going to have an impact on this world that we've got to have position, we've got to have some sort of title, we've got to have fame, we've got to have great networks, we've got to have our name respected. So the Apostle Paul now was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. He was the greatest of the greatest. He was on a career track basically to take over in Jerusalem among the religious elite, but he gives up that title and he gives up that position. And then and only then does he begin to make the greatest impact with his life. And what that shows me is that you don't have to have a title to make an impact. Another assumption that you and I think that we've got to have when it comes to making an impact is that we've got to have money. We think, hey, you know what, if you want to make a difference, you got to have, you got to have money. Rich people are the ones who make an impact, right? But think about Paul. In this book, in Philippians, what's his financial situation? I mean, he's living off an offering that the Philippian church is basically sending him. Paul is so poor at this point in his life that he can't even pay attention. Paul, Paul, Paul is so poor, he don't even drive a horse, you know. He drives a Porsche. And I worked hard on that. Man, poor, poor. He's poor. He's right. He's poor. He's poor. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have a title. Yet he makes a huge impact. That was much funnier than the laugh y'all gave me. I'm just really, y'all hurt my feelings. But the truth is, again, title and money have nothing to do with impact. So what are the principles of impact? If you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. The first principle for impact is courage. You got to have courage. Look at Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Here's what Paul says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, let me stop. What does he mean when he says the whole palace guard? Who are these group of people? What you need to understand is that at this particular moment in history, the palace guard was the most influential group of people around. They were actually known as the king makers of their day. If someone was going to rise to a position of king or emperor, they did it through the palace guard. And so what would happen is when someone wanted to become emperor, oftentimes they would bribe the palace guard. They would tell them, hey, I'm going to give you all this money. I'm going to give you all this wealth if you'll help me become king. And so again, I just want you to understand that the palace guard is the gateway to power among Roman culture in this particular time. So Paul is thrown in prison, and instead of wallowing around in self-pity, instead of thinking, woe is me, I can't believe this has happened to me, he actually gets more courageous. He takes it up another level, and he says, hey, I've got access to the palace guard. I've got access to the most influential group of people of our time. And so he begins to win those individuals over and thus change the culture from a prison cell. So the palace guard takes notice of the courage that Paul has. People who don't know God take courage, or they take notice of the courage that Paul has. And then even people who already know God, followers of Christ, they take notice of the courage that Paul has. Look at what verse 14 says. He says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Do you see that? You see that? The brothers and sisters, again, who already knew God, they become more bold and confident and they proclaim the gospel without fear. Again, the greatest marketing strategy to have ever been invented is Courage. When you begin to act courageous and when you begin to act tough, people around you start to take notice of that. How many of y'all remember in grade school or middle school, there, were all, there was always that one person, always that one person that everybody said, man, they're, they're so tough. There was that one person that everybody was afraid of, everybody was scared of. When I was coming up, it was me, you know what I mean? It's these guns right here. But people were like, man, he's so tough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all remember that? Or is it, you know, just my school? Everybody had that one, that one person? Okay, y'all lying. Uh, but anyway, I remember, I remember in fourth grade, we were playing King of the Hill. Anybody play King of the Hill when you were a kid? Man, so what was happening in Pearl, we didn't have real nice playground equipment. We just had a pile of dirt in the field, you know, and that's where we played. And so I remember a guy would run up on the top of the hill, and he'd say, I'm the King of the Hill. And then all these other guys would rush him, trying to knock him off the hill so that they would be the King of the Hill. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, great, great, great. So I remember we were playing King of the Hill, having a great time. Everybody's trying to get... To take the king of the hill, be the king of the hill. And then everybody was having a great time until Chad's class came outside for recess. See, see, Chad, Chad was a quiet guy. Chad, Chad was somebody that, you know, nobody really thought much about. He made good grades in school, didn't get in trouble, didn't do anything. But Chad had just gotten back from being suspended. Okay? He was suspended because he actually beat up the school bully. And so we, all these fourth graders, man, we heard about his exploits. You know what I'm saying? We were like, man, he was a legend to us. You know what I mean? And so when Chad walked out and wanted to play King of the Hill, we were like, nah, man, I'm going to go get some water. You got it. You're the King of the Hill. That's what we thought, right? I mean, but we, had, we, had, we began to respect Chad, again, because he stood up to the school bully. And because he stood up to the school bully, you know what it encouraged us to do? To stand up to the school bully ourselves. We'd say, I'm about to go tell Chad. 
I'm about to go tell Chad. We say that. See, as humans, we are naturally fearful. And so when one of us stands up in bravery, it's shocking. It's shocking to see courage rise up in the middle of all the chaos of our culture. And so when you stand up in courage, the people around you will see it. And your courage will embolden them to stand up in faith as well. The key to courage, however, is developing a willingness to embrace difficulty. I'm serious. Think about it. You can't have courage without difficulty. Without suffering. You can't. Anytime there's difficulty and anytime there's suffering, there's this opportunity for courage. In any place where you see courage, you can bet that moments before there was difficulty and suffering. Jesus was pretty clear in John chapter 16, verse 33, when he said, Here on earth you will have many trials and many sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Again, that's John 16, 33. But Jesus says again, on earth, you're going to have many trials, many sorrows, much difficulty. The truth of the matter is each and every one of us will experience difficulty. Each and every one of us will experience suffering. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them you're going to suffer. Now tell the person that told you you were going to suffer, say, yeah, I know I'm sitting by you, right? You know what I'm talking about? We all got to suffer. That's my cross to bear. Hey, but Jesus says you're going to suffer. But then Jesus says, take heart. What does that mean? It means to have courage. A question that each and every one of us need to ask ourselves is when we experience difficulty or when we experience suffering, will we stand in courage and face it? See, I love movies. How many of y'all like movies? You like movies? One of my favorite movies is, is movie 300. Anybody ever seen that movie? It's rated R. Y'all ain't supposed to raise your hand in church, right? You're not supposed to watch rated R movies or listen to, to, listen to country music or cheer for old Miss, right? Those are like the three things you're just not supposed to do, right? right? Just kidding. All right, here we go. I love that movie, though, 300. I love that movie. That movie gets me pumped up, and it's based off of true facts. It's based off of historical truths. And so in that movie, it's actually depicting something that happened in 480 B.C. In that movie, King Leonidas, in the movie, his, he takes 300 of his men to basically stop the conquering Persian army. Now, the movie's a little different than actual history. History records that there is this Persian messenger that looks at King Leonidas with his 300 men, and he's trying to tell him, hey, man, you're about to die. It's not going to be good for you. And so the movie, again, it's a little different, but history says that this Persian messenger says to King Leonidas, look, our archers are so numerous that their arrows will blot out the sun. And history says that King Leonidas looks at this Persian messenger and says, then we will fight in the shade. Just courage, right? Just courage. They were outnumbered like a thousand to one, but there's this courage. That movie gets me pumped up, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. Fire. I don't know. I'm just, it gets me excited. And that's what courage does. If you want to make a greater impact and if you want to strengthen the people around you, you've got to decide to stand up during difficult times and during suffering and have courage. And folks, listen to me. This world needs people who will stand in courage. This world needs people who will stand for what is good and what is right. This world needs people to stand on the word of of God and tell them this is how we're supposed to live because God says so. It takes courage to do that. You want to make an impact? I'm telling you, 
you got to have courage. Not only does it take courage, but the second thing that I want you to see it takes is it takes attitude. It takes the right attitude, not like three snaps in a Z4 Mason like my kids give me some time when I'm trying to tell them to do something. You, know? you need the right attitude because attitude is everything. Ran across this story about a bike company here in America, and so this mountain bike company, they had this idea that they were going to be mostly uh, online sales by 2020. That was what they wanted to do. That's what they wanted to do. This business model was going to allow them to give a better deal to their customers, but was also going to help them turn a better profit because they weren't going to have a whole lot of overhead. And so the only problem was by shipping the bikes, their bikes were getting damaged. In fact, the majority of their bikes were getting damaged, so much so that they couldn't get positive reviews, and also uh, so much so that it was really threatening to destroy their business. And so the company board got together, and they tried to come up with a solution. They looked at using new shipping companies. They looked at using new shipping routes. They looked at using uh, more effective packaging, but all of that just wasn't cost effective. And they were almost willing to just say, hey, you know what? We're going to have to be a storefront business. We're going to have to be a storefront business until one of their board members had this unbelievable idea. He, he said, you know what? Instead of changing the way we ship our stuff, instead of changing who ships it, what we need to do is we need to change the attitude of the people handling our packages. And so what the guy noticed was that their bikes came shipped in packages that were about six inches wide, and they were about this wide, about six inches wide, about this wide. And so he said, you know what, they, they look almost like big screen TVs, the, the boxes that you would ship a big screen TV in. And so he had this idea, why don't we print a big screen TV on the, on, on the, on the box? And so we got a picture here for you guys to see, because this is a real deal. And so he said, yeah, they're going to put it on screen in just a minute, I think. He said, yeah, there we go. Y'all see that? There it is right there. Praise the Lord. He said, he said, printing a television on the box, what they would see is the guys that were shipping those packages would say, hey, you know what? This isn't a mountain bike. We can just throw around. This is a TV in this box. We need to be a little more careful. Somebody's going to be watching Ole Miss get beat on this thing. Somebody's going to be watching this. We, we got we to gotta keep, we got to be careful with this television. And guess what? It worked. And again, it, it, they didn't change anything but the attitude of the people handling their package. And you see, oftentimes you and I think we need to change our circumstances. We need to change our situation. We need to change our relationships. We need to change our finances. But the truth is the best and most effective thing that you and I can change is our attitude. It's our attitude. You can't always control what happens to you. You can't. But you can control what happens in you. You can't always control what happens to you, but you can control what happens in you, and you can choose to have the right attitude. Look at the Apostle Paul. He had an, an incredible attitude. His attitude lined up with the will of God. I want you to see this. Look at verse 15. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Have you ever had somebody in your life that all they did was want to stir up trouble in your life? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All oh, this drama, just me. We usually call them siblings, right? My sister's here today. She used to stir up trouble for me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I'm glad you're here. Praise the Lord. But anyway, here's the one. Verse 18. He says this. 
in spite of the fact that all these people are trying to cause problems for him, he says, what does it matter? What does it matter? It's this simple question that aligns Paul's attitude with the will of God. He doesn't say, man, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe that these people are trying to stir up problems for me because that's the temptation for each and every one of us, right? When we're going through difficulty and people are trying to make our life miserable, we're tempted just to wallow around and say, man, why in the world is this happening? Paul doesn't have that attitude. He lifts his attitude to the will of God, and he does it by asking what matters to God and what's important to God. And he comes to this conclusion. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether for false motives or true, Christ is preached. Paul, again, doesn't lower himself down to all the drama. He lifts himself up to the message of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that there are always going to be people in your life that cause you drama. But he also knows that the message of God works. He knows that. That's why you and I need to align our life with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a simple message. What is the simple message? The simple message is that God is real and that you and I sinned against God, but that God didn't want you and I to die and spend eternity separated from him. So he sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins so that we could receive forgiveness. The question is, will you and I receive that forgiveness or not? It's the simple gospel message message. And Paul says it doesn't matter who preaches it. It doesn't matter why they preach it. I just want them to preach it, he says, because it works. And I assure you folks, when I got saved, man, when I found God, I wasn't looking for God. The only reason I was at church in the first place was because there was a cute girl there and I wanted to play basketball in the church gym. That's why I was there. I looked at the preacher. I thought he was weird. I thought he was odd. Y'all know any weird preachers, odd preachers? Don't look at me. Hey, but I mean, we're like that, right? We, I, I thought he was weird. I thought he was odd. But I heard the message, and it worked. God changed me, right? God changed me. Speaking of weird preachers, y'all want to hear a joke? I got time, right? Okay. Here's this Hindu priest. It's funny. Hindu priest is a true story. Hindu priest, a Jewish rabbi, and one of these televangelists. Y'all know one of them cheesy televangelists on TV that's always like asking for money. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't like those guys. Anyway, so, so there's this Hindu priest, Jewish rabbi, and this televangelist, and they're traveling on the road together. And it gets late at night, and so they stop at this old farmhouse. They see the light on. They stop, and they knock on the door and say, hey, look, we're traveling. It's real late at night. We just need a place to stay. An old farmer says, yeah, y'all can stay here. The only problem is I got only got two beds, two free beds. So two of y'all can stay inside, but one of y'all is going to have to stay in the barn out there. And so the Hindu priest says, hey, that's okay. I don't mind staying in the barn. I don't mind staying in the barn. Hindu priest goes to the barn. minute later, comes back in a panic. He said, man, there's a cow in the barn. I can't stay, I can't stay there because cows are sacred to us. So the Jewish rabbi is like, that's okay. I'll do it. Jewish rabbi goes out there, minute later comes back in a panic. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I can't stay out there. There's a pig out there. And so that wouldn't be kosher. And so the televangelist is like, it's okay, okay, okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll stay out there. Well, a minute later, man, the cow and the pig come back and say, we can't stay in there with that guy. These <laughs> are weird preachers, right? That's funny. I don't care who you are, all right? It's funny. And in our passage, show me all like, I don't get it. Cows can't talk. Okay, it's funny. In our passage, again, Paul's being attacked by people who have these horrible motives. And they're, in fact, just preaching to make it harder on him when it comes 
to sentencing, but instead of being dragged down into the drama, look at what he says in the rest of verse 18. He says, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul is just happy that the message of Christ is being preached. And it's crazy. It's crazy to think that Paul has more joy than you have a lot of times, more joy than I have a lot of times. It's crazy to think he has more job that, more joy than we have. And he is in a prison cell. Why is that? It's because Paul has decided to have the right attitude. He's decided to have the right attitude and the right attitude has led to having joy. Might I suggest to you that if you're not experiencing joy, it could be because you're choosing the wrong attitude. I remember several years ago, we took Brianna Grace and Sadie Kate to Disney World, the happiest place on earth. Anybody ever seen there, been there? So we were at the happiest place on earth. And so we're walking through there and Sadie Kate wants to stop and she wants to see one of the characters, right? And so we're like, well, Sadie, we're really trying to get on this ride because some of y'all know you got to wait on them rides. So we're like, let's go get in this. We'll, we'll see the character later. And Sadie Kate, you know what she did? She stuck that lift up. Got all sad. Almost tripped over. It was crazy. It was saying nice. But she got she got so sad. Crossed her. Huh, and she got mad. Had a, she got mad. She, we were at the happiest place in the world. And she couldn't enjoy it because she had the wrong attitude. The wrong attitude, folks. Attitude is everything. So if you want to make an impact, you got to have courage. You got to have attitude. The third thing you got to have is perspective. Perspective. Perspective is essential. Again, Sadie Kate, I remember several years ago, we took her somewhere and we tried to bribe her. I know y'all don't ever do that as parents, right? But you're like trying to bribe your kids. Look, if you'll be good when we go to this place, I will buy you a prize. Anybody? Y'all don't want to admit it in church, but y'all do that. I'm like, man, if you'll be good when we go here, we'll buy you a prize. And so we go, and she's good. And so Amanda and I, we take her to the movies. We get to the movies. She wants some popcorn. We get her some popcorn. She wants an icy. We get her icy. She wants some Skittles. We get her Skittles. So she's sitting there in the movie theater, got popcorn in her lap, an icy in her cup holder, Skittles beside her. She looks at me, and she says, I was pretty good today, Daddy, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, you pretty good today. She said, when can I get my prize? I said, girl, you just got your prize. It's a movie, it's popcorn, it's, it's icy, it's Skittles. Man, we laugh about that, right? But don't we do the same thing to God? Think about it. God gives us his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, his purpose. He comes to earth. He teaches us how to live. He actually dies for us, and we go and say, well, what else you got, God? I mean, I'm going through something else right now with this drama. Why aren't you helping me? Right now, God says, look what I've given you. Man, look what I've given you life. I've given you purpose. Jesus literally lives inside of you, and you're not satisfied. We need to change our perspective. We've got to have an eternal perspective. Listen to me. Once you get an eternal perspective, that will change your ability to impact the people around you. Look at what Paul says in verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is he saying here? Paul is saying he's in a situation where he can't lose. There's nothing that can rise up in his life that's going to cause him to, to be defeated and to, to lose. He's in a win-win situation. Verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What's he saying? He said, man, if I get a chance to get out of prison, if I get a chance to get out of prison, I'll be able to walk in the purpose that God has for me. And it's going to be awesome. But then he says this. He says, yeah, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. He's talking about the presence of Christ. So he's holding on to these two amazing blessings. He's got the purpose of Christ and the presence of Christ. He says, I don't know which one to choose because they're both so awesome. They're both so awesome. 
To live is Christ, to die is gain. He's got this unbelievable perspective. What is your perspective? Do you know what your purpose is, your God-given purpose? Do you know what it is? Because if you're living in your purpose, your God-given purpose, you can live a life that makes you feel fulfilled and satisfied. Do you know your purpose? And do you recognize God's presence in your life? Again, having the right perspective can also eliminate panic in your life. Paul's not panicking here. He's not thinking, man, I'm on my way to Rome. What if I die? He's not thinking, man, I've been charged with a crime. I didn't commit. What am I going to do? He's not worried about the jail cell he's in because Paul realizes he's got a mansion waiting on him in heaven. Do you know your eternal destiny today? Do you really know what God has given you? Do you really know all that he has done for you and what he's preparing for you? Because if you do, it will change your ability to impact people. Think about it. If you really believe heaven is real, if you really believe heaven is real and that you'll live there for eternity, do you think that will change some of the conversations you have with people? If you really believe that God loves you so much that he came and died for you, would that cause you to have more joy that the creator of the universe loves you that much. Again, we've got to develop this willingness to have an eternal perspective. So it takes courage if you really want to make an impact. It takes attitude. It takes perspective. The fourth thing that I want you to see real quick is it takes service. You have to serve. Look at what Paul says in verse 25. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you. So Paul is not worried about escaping prison at this moment in his life. He's worried about serving the Philippians. Instead of whining and complaining about being in prison, he says, man, I can't wait to get out because when I get out of here, I'm going to serve you guys more. How does he say he's going to serve them more? He goes on to say this. He says, for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. That word abound in the Greek is a very interesting word. Paul says, hey, you've already got joy, you've already got faith, you're already making progress, but I can't wait to come and be with you so that your joy and faith and progress can abound, so it'll be overflowing. I can't wait to get back and serve you. Paul was this service junkie where he just had to serve and had to serve and had to serve. Why? Because he knew that's how you change this world. It's through serving. See, I'm wrapping up. Timothy Keller in his book, Making Sense of God, says that it's only Christianity that brings full meaning to human life. And to prove it, he illustrates it by telling a story about a doctor by the name of Bill Thomas. Bill Thomas is a doctor in upstate New York, works at a nursing home. And what Bill Thomas began to realize is he would come into the nursing home every day and he just noticed that there seemed to be no life there. Everybody just defeated. And so he started to suspect that serving the residents every single need by doing that, that they were actually taking life from the residents. So he has this idea and the state of New York's against it. His entire staff is against it, but he fights and fights and fights and fights and fights. And he finally gets the approval to actually bring into the nursing home a hundred parakeets, four dogs, two cats, a colony of rabbits, a flock of laying hens, a bunch of indoor plants, and a thriving vegetable garden. 
And the reason that he brought in all those pets and all those plans is he said, every single resident here must serve and take care of one of those things. He said, they got to have responsibility. And so after one year of all of this being in the nursing home and studying and documenting, what they found out was that the amount of prescription drugs that they continued to serve the residents fell by 50%, especially mood-altering drugs like drugs that treated depression. What he said was is that people, their joy seemed to be restored to them. He said also that the death rate fell by 15%. And more than any of those statistics, what he noticed was that there were people in that nursing home who had not spoken in over a year, but those residents began to speak. Residents who had not walked in months began to walk. What he noticed was that life came back to that place. The staff actually started bringing their children there after their children would get out of school because it was such a fun environment. And here's the point for you and I. The point is when you and I serve, that's when we begin to live. You were wired and created by your God to help others and to impact others. And if you're only serving yourself and you, you're dying. But once you begin to serve others, again, you, you, you actually begin to live. And I know the world will tell you, you need to take care of yourself first. You need to take care of your finances. You need to make sure you get your life in order. You need to make sure that you look out for number one. But I'm telling you to give up those small ambitions and to follow what God's word actually says and the way to impact others and the way to make a difference and the way to make this world a better place has nothing to do with your title and your position and your finances. And it has everything to do with the fact that you are willing to serve others. See, when you begin to serve and love others, again, you become alive. We've got to develop this willingness to keep serving. What do you do when your marriage is not doing well? You serve your spouse. What do you do when your coworkers aren't getting along with you? You serve your coworkers. What do you do when your boss doesn't seem to be responding to you? You serve your boss. What do you do to reach people far from Christ and far from his church? You serve. And that's why Elevate Church exist to serve. We recognize that we are blessed and because we are blessed, we want to bless others. We want to serve others. We want to serve this world and we want to serve this community. Man, that's why we've made it for six years is because we were willing to serve. And you know how we'll make it another six years? By being willing to serve. But what kind of impact? would we make on our community and on our city and on this world if each of us, if each and every one of us decided to actually do what we were created to do and serve? I know we'd make a tremendous impact. You don't need a title. You don't need position. You don't need wealth. You need courage. You need the right attitude, you need the right perspective, and you need to serve because it's those things that will change your life. It's those things that will change your world. It's those things that will cause us to make the greatest impact. What are we waiting on? We were made for impact.
So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But I wonder today if there's somebody here and you've never responded to the simple gospel. Again, the fact that God is real and that you've sinned against him. And maybe you realize you've sinned against him. And because of that, you just think there's no way he could love you or welcome you or accept you. I just want you to know that that's not true. I know it's not true because God sent his only son to die for us. And that's why you're here today. He brought you here to hear that message. There's nothing that you could do that would make him turn his back on you. He's here with arms wide open. He loves you and he wants to save you. And so if you know today you need to give your heart and life to him, you need to respond to that simple message. I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, today, please forgive me. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. Change me today into a new person. Not a better version of the old me but a completely new me. Father, may the old be gone and the new come. And may I live for you each and every day of my life. Father, thank you for saving me. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I wonder today, if you're here and you made that decision to give your heart and life to Christ, if you made the decision to ask God into your life, would you just do me a favor and raise your hand so I can know the Holy Spirit's moving? Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for new life today. We celebrate it. Father, it's the best decision each and every one of us can make is to give our heart and life to you. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower these who have raised their hands this morning. Empower them to consistently walk with you. Father, but I pray for the rest of us that you would help us to think about the impact we're having on the people around us, and also on this community and on the city and on this world. Father, I pray that you would help us to step up in courage, that you would help us to have the right attitude, that you would help us to have the right perspective, and that you would help us to serve with greater intensity. Father, I thank you for today, and I pray all this in the precious name of Jesus.